You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our Old Testament scripture reading this morning is taken from Psalm 22, the first 24 verses. And then after that, we turn to Matthew chapter 27, the verses 32 to 50. Psalm 22, verses 1 to 21. You will notice above this psalm it says, For the director of music to the tune of the doe of the morning. The psalm of David. Of course, we don't have that tune anymore. It would be great if we had it. Maybe we could compare it to what we have in our rhymings and in the various rhymings of Psalm 22. But in any case, we turn this morning then first to a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the tomb, out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you, from my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones, people stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name. To my brothers, in the congregation, I will praise you. Then we turn to Matthew chapter 27 for our New Testament reading, beginning at verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. 
but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Elioi, Elioi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Our text this morning comes from Matthew 27, verse 46, about the ninth hour. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Elioi, Elioi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the question is sometimes asked, why is there so much suffering in this world of ours. Why is it that we have to experience earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, wars, murders, crimes, sickness, and so many other miserable things in this life? You might say to some extent that's an appropriate kind of question to ask at this time of year. After all, this is the time of Lent and Good Friday, and it is usually a time of year identified with suffering. For in these days, the spotlight of the church, and also to some extent of the world, falls on Jesus Christ and what happened to him long ago. It dwells, for example, on his torment in the Garden of Gethsemane, on his humiliating arrest, on his demeaning trials, on his hideous crucifixion, and on the mockery that was heaped upon him, and finally, on his death. You might say Lent and suffering go together. Good Friday and suffering go together. And at the same time, in a manner of speaking, our Lord Jesus Christ himself confirms this, his words to his disciples, to his so, to the soldiers, to the priests, 
Do Pontius Pilate confirm it? And the way that they treat him confirms it too. The beatings, the blood, the crown of thorns, the tearing of his clothes, the nails that penetrate his hands and his feet. But perhaps there is one more thing, one other thing, one word that confirms all of the rest. And it has to do with something that he said on the cross. For it is from there that he suddenly screams in the Aramaic language, Elioi, Elioi lama sabachthani, which also means in English, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Upon hearing these particular words from his lips, any number of people draw the conclusion that it must be God who is to blame for his suffering. After all, it is God who is the one who is forsaking him here. And therefore, God must be to blame for Jesus' suffering. And if he's to blame for Jesus' suffering, because he's God, he also probably is to blame for our suffering. If God abandons Jesus to his lot, then he must also be the one who ultimately abandons us. And so the connection is often made that suffering, suffering has to be God's fault. It comes from him. He is its author. But does it? Does it really? Before we jump to that Conclusion, we need to read a little wider, look a little closer, think a little deeper, and we need to do a little more work with our Bibles. And let's do that now. I preached to you this morning under the theme simply one word, abandoned. Well, beloved, you will notice that our text begins with the words about the ninth hour Jesus cried out. The ninth hour, what time of day is that? Well, it's close to three o'clock in the afternoon Jewish time in our time. Is there any significance in that? Well, ordinarily there might not be. However, notice that something else is connected with this time. And you can find it in verse 45 where we read from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. So what does this tell you? It tells you that this particular cry of our Lord Jesus Christ took place near the end of three long hours of darkness. And that in a way is strange. Since whenever is there three hours of darkness at the height of the day until three in the afternoon? You know, that's the middle of the day. That's the time when the sun usually shines its brightest. That's the time, especially in the Middle East, when it's the hottest period of the day. And so it is said here that during the brightest, hottest time of the day, we have these three hours of darkness. Now, what's that all about? When does this ever happen? What could have caused this? Some suggest it must have been an eclipse. 
But then some of you know that an eclipse never causes total, utter darkness. Neither does an eclipse usually last three hours. And one more thing, an eclipse usually tends to be somewhat localized, and here it is said to cover the entire land from top to bottom. You see, all the signs point to the fact that if this is an eclipse, it is a most unusual eclipse. Or if it is darkness, it is a most unusual kind of darkness. You might say it's a darkness that has really up until now no human explanation. You can go to the scientists and you can ask them, but they tend to scratch their head at this point. You can go to the people who experienced it and they cannot explain it either. And so where does that leave us? It leaves us with the need to search the scriptures for an explanation. And when we do that, what do we find? Well, you might say we find some disturbing things. For if you search the scriptures, you will soon discover that at times they link God and darkness. Psalm 97 comes to mind, clouds and thick darkness, the psalmist says, surround you. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And in addition, the Bible links or connects God and the sending of darkness. Ezekiel 32 quotes God as saying, All the shining lights in the heavens I will darken over you. I will bring darkness over your land. And next you can see the Bible not only links God and darkness, but also God, darkness, and judgment. Joel 2 comes to mind. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and darkness. And in the next chapter, Joel 2, it says, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so taken together, when you study the scriptures, you see that God, darkness, and judgment often go together. So if that is the background here, what other conclusion are we left with than this? Here in Matthew 27, it must be God who is sending this special darkness. Here the God of creation is interfering with the normal workings of creation. He is the author of of this darkness. But not uh, just of this darkness, for we have also seen that this darkness sent by God has something to do with judgment. In one way or another, the darkness in which Jesus cries out has everything to do with judgment and wrath, and then the judgment and wrath of God. And so what do we have thus far? 
We have Jesus accusing God of forsaking him. We also have God expressing his anger and judgment in the form of darkness. And again, the evidence seems to indicate that God must be the author and the cause of suffering. But once more, let's exercise a degree of caution. For we've not yet examined the cry of Jesus. What really and actually does he say? The cry that he utters is this, Eloi, Eloi, lama subachtenai. It's uttered in the Aramaic language because that's the language that all the people pretty well around the cross at that time understood. Obviously then all the people knew that Jesus was saying, my God, my God, why have you, why have you forsaken me? So they all get to hear Jesus accusing God of forsaking him, of leaving him in the lurch of washing, as it were, his hands of him. They all get to hear, as it were, Jesus blaming God. Here he is in the midst of this terrible suffering. He's been hanging on that cross for hours. His enemies taunt him nonstop. Many of the people around are mocking him. He's the butt of endless jokes and insults and catcalls and derision. And all the while, God is silent. The God of Jesus does nothing. Heaven is not listening. The angels are nowhere to be seen. So can you see the preliminary conclusion that people draw? Is that either God is responsible for this, or if God is not responsible for all of this, then he must be powerless and indifferent in the face of it all. And that's what some theologians would have you believe. They say, God doesn't answer Jesus in his cry because God has nothing to do with suffering. God only dabbles in good stuff. Never in the nasty stuff. And so these people would have you believe the question is a non-starter. Don't even bother to link God in suffering. But then before we go further down that road and jump to that conclusion, we do well to scratch the surface of these words of Jesus a little more. And indeed, what is Jesus really saying when he asks God about why he has forsaken him? For one, we need to understand that these words and this question is not original to Jesus. Centuries before, it was uttered by someone else, by by David. We've read from Psalm 22. And no doubt you noticed its opening verse, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And probably you noticed as well as we kept on reading in this psalm that it's kind of unnerving in its predictive quality. 
verse 15, it says, My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That's like Jesus saying, I thirst. You lay me in the dust of death. Verse 16 says, Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men encircle me. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. And it talks about piercing. So many words in Psalm 22 are prophetic. I would say to you in the first instance, they must describe what had happened to David in his life. But not only that. They also describe what's going to happen to David's great son thousands of years down the road. And so what does this connection to Psalm 22 and to David tell us? It tells us that the words of Jesus on the cross are not the words of an ordinary man. David uses them to describe not just himself, but in the spirit he also uses them to describe his great son, the king of Israel who will come after him. And so who is speaking in Psalm 27 or in Matthew 27? It's the Messiah. And who is this Messiah? Consult the scriptures again and you will see that he is many things. He's the Son of God. He's the King of Israel. He's the firstborn of creation. He's the light of the world. He's the Savior. In other words, the one who is speaking here from the cross is the most extraordinary person who's ever lived. He's man and he's God. He's the great Redeemer. But then, of course, you ask yourself, so what is he, of all people, doing on a cross. What is he doing crying out like this? How can he ever be forsaken? Well, the answer, my friends, lies not so much in his person as it lies in his work. For there's really only one reason why Jesus is on that cross. He's there. For the sake of his people. He's there paying for our sins. He's there covering our iniquities. He's there atoning for us and dying for us. He's doing all of this for us. But why? Why does he even need to be there for his people? To answer that, we need to go back to the beginning of time. The Bible describes that beginning and the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. You may know about it, how it, God creates the world in six days. How he made man and woman and then marriage. 
Our depicts a world in which God and man have perfect fellowship, perfect harmony, perfect unity together. And it also reveals a world in which man is specifically warned to live close to God and to obey his will. If man wants to live well and to live forever, he needs to live in step with God, his maker. Only that's not what man ends up doing. Instead of listening to God, he listens to the devil. And the result, disaster everywhere. Man's love for God turns into competition, even into hatred. Man's heart tends to gravitate naturally toward the evil. Peace gives way to war. Creation, harmony ends an earthquake, hurricane, tsunami, cyclone, and tornado take over. What a misery is unleashed by man's revolt against God and by his fall into sin. But then stop and ask yourself, what is the greatest disaster in all of this? And surely you will come to the conclusion, the greatest disaster in all of this rebellion and sin and misery, the greatest disaster is death. It's death in all of its forms, physical, spiritual, eternal. And you may know God had explicitly warned man about this. When you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. But of course, man and woman ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But they didn't drop dead. They did not die. So what is this? Was God exaggerating? No, not at all. For while it's true that they did not drop dead instantly, they still experienced death some years later. And in addition, from the moment that they ate of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, they died spiritually. They cut themselves off from God, their life source. They no longer loved Him and served Him. They no longer sought him with all their heart. Physical and spiritual deaths became man's lot. And something else as well, eternal deaths. Those who sever the tie with God and never ever repent will come to know eternal, everlasting Death. And hence, it's no exaggeration to say that death is the most devastating disaster of all. There's nothing worse than physical, spiritual, eternal death, being cut off from God. Such a life and such a future represents the ultimate horror show. And such would be our life and our future. 
were it not for the coming of Jesus Christ. In his great love and mercy, God sent him in the fullness of time. But sent him to do what? To preach? Yes. To perform miracles? Yes. To teach parables? Yes. To live a perfect life? Yes. But even more important, God sent him to rescue us. And God especially sent him to rescue us from death, threefold death. But yet how to do that? How do you rescue a people from death? There's only one way. He has to suffer in our place. He has to pay for our sin. He has to carry our cross. And above all, he has to experience the utter forsakenness of sin. He has to go where we should have gone. And so when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is not the cry of someone who is hurling accusations at God. No, this is the cry of the Savior who is suffering in our place. On the cross and on the darkness. He's in hell. He's going through what we should be going through. He's abandoned, cut off, forsaken, left derelict for us. Yes, he did it all for us in order that we would never, ever, ever be abandoned, forsaken, cut off, and left derelict by God. He did it for us. And now he calls on us also at this time of Lent and approaching Good Friday to believe in him and to seek our life in him, our peace, our future. If there are any here today or any watching or listening on live feed who do not know him, you need to run to him now. You need to seek Him. And Scripture says, if you seek Him with all your heart, you will surely, surely find Him. And finding Him, you will find life. You will find life's greatest treasure and gift. Oh, and as for who's to blame... For the suffering in the world? If you listen carefully, then you know the answer by now. The blame for all the suffering in the world lies not with God, but with us, with mankind. It's the result of our sin and trespass, 
Our rebellion caused it. We are the ones who wrecked creation. We dropped the ball. But thankfully, however, God knows this. And he's designed a way. A special way for all of us who believe in him. And that way is the way of Jesus Christ, who through his cross, redemption sent us. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, our sins and our trespasses have erected a great and mighty barrier between you and us. A barrier that cuts us off from you. A barrier that causes us to be isolated and insulated. But yet this morning we have been reminded how Jesus Christ, our Savior, has cut through that barrier. And he has done it by taking our sins and trespasses upon himself. Oh, Father, this cry from the cross is a reminder that he was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. That he was punished so that we would never need to be punished. That he was the one who suffered hellish agony so that we would not have to suffer either the agony or the reality of hell itself. And so, Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for the immeasurable, boundless, glorious gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who has gone into the darkness so that we might live in the light. May we, Lord, grasp that promise with all our heart and soul and live out of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Redeemer alone. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.